I want to welcome all of you to our podcast, From My Kitchen Table, which is both inspired and created by our successful and award-winning Women Create magazines. For those of you who do not know me, I am Jo Packham, a small-town homegrown girl who had no big dreams of being the creator and editor-in-chief of your magazines, Where and What Women Create, among which we have profiled over 745 women from around the world in over 265 books and magazines. I am so thankful that you are here joining us today. Our podcast, which is for and all about you, will be coming to you weekly. So please listen on your platform of choice. The guests we have are visionaries who consist of artists, designers, foodies, and entrepreneurs each taking us through the ups and the downs of living a creative life. I will be introducing you to those in our industry, some well-known and some you have never met. These women have crafted amazing works of imagination, transformed cooking and baking into an art form, built successful businesses, inspired entire communities, and each has a story to tell of perseverance and triumph that will help each of us on our own personal journey. So welcome to From My Kitchen Table. This is the place to come together, to learn, and to share the passion, the process, the inspiration, the wisdom, and the journeys of living a creative life. I would like to begin our podcast today by saying what an honor it is for me to have the guest that we have today. I have been a fan for a while and I was just telling her that it took me a very long time to write her a note and ask her if she would consider being in the magazine. And when she said yes, I was so thrilled and she is on the cover of where Women Create. And so I would like to introduce you to Marion Parsons. And you probably know her as Miss Mustard Seed online. She is the creative force behind the blog, Miss Mustard Seed. She's a paint enthusiast, an artist, an encourager, a bibliophile, and a lover of all things home. She is also the author of Feels Like Home, a home decor book released in October of 2021. Now that is the entire bio that Marion sent, and I know for a fact that it could be much, much longer. So I am going to let her take over and introduce her. Marion, welcome to From My Kitchen Table. Oh, thank you. It's so good to be here. And as I was telling you, I think I've been a fan of yours longer than you've been a fan of mine because- Oh, I'm older. <laughs> oh, well, I bought the book Where Women Create what I think when it first came out and, um, man, I loved that you were taking the time to show those creative spaces. Cause I think at that time that wasn't really, you know, there wasn't Instagram or Pinterest. And so to be able to, you know, I'm trying to set up a little place for sewing or in my little apartment and, to be able to see that like people were carving out spaces for their creative work, it just gave me such a, I don't know, a, a preview maybe of, of my future and what I would be passionate about. And so anyway, I've been a fan for a long time uh, of you as well. And um, so as far as the, the biography and sharing more of my story, I 
started my business about uh, 13 or 14 years ago now. I'm kind of losing track at this day. <laughs> when your business is, is a teenager or older, you're like, I don't know how old it is. It's old. It's old. <laughs> very, very good analogy. Very good. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so, um, so I started it really out of just complete necessity. I was at home with two little boys. One was four months old and the other one was almost two. So it was like a ridiculous time to start a business. And we just really needed some money. We needed some extra income. We had a student loan that came due. We, you know, or we're buying extra diapers because we've got two kids in <laughs> diapers, just like that typical scenario where it's just like, how can we make this work? And also how can I work in a way and still be a stay at home mom? And so the way I could do that was really by starting my own business. And so I started doing decorative painting and murals. I started painting little hand-painted wooden ornaments that I went and sold at a craft fair. And then it just kind of, it, it, it was one of those experiences where it just kept unfolding. It started out like so small and manageable and then just kept like one door after another kept opening up and leading me in new directions and led me to a blog led me to to writing for websites like hgtv.com and magazines it's led to writing books and it's just continued to unfold so i'm uh, i'm just still along for the journey and really enjoying it <laughs> I don't know if you're just along for the journey. You're quite an inspiration, <laughs> really a lot of people. But let's talk for just a second, because I know our listeners are always interested when you say one window opened and then another one did and writing for websites like HGTV. I mean, that is a really, really big deal. So did you contact them? Did they contact you? I mean, tell everybody just a little bit of history about something like that. That's a great, I'm so glad you asked that. Cause I think that that kind of thing feels very like inaccessible. And when I first started my blog, the way you got into magazines was really by kind of someone would see your house or, or someone would refer you to a scout or something. It was this very, like you had to be kind of in to get in. And the internet really changed that. It gave people an opportunity to share what they were doing with whoever wanted to find it. And so when I first started my blog, I applied for a few different magazines. That was one of my goals was to get in a magazine. I just really, really wanted that, my room in print. And I didn't care which room, I didn't care what it was. I just <laughs> wanted the glossy page. It was really, uh, seemed so like, out of reach for me. And so I applied to a few magazines and I'd get the typical like, well, we're not really looking for any new content right now, which is basically just like, you know, <laughs> you're not in, you're not in. That was kind of the answer. And so I just decided pretty early on in my blog that I was going to just basically pretend like I'm in a magazine. <laughs> I'm just going to learn to take great photos. I'm going to write articles the way I would write them if they were in a magazine. I'm just going to do it myself. And after doing that for about a year, I started to get um, some inquiries from actual magazines who wanted to feature my blog, who wanted to, uh, I was asked by Cottages and Bungalows to write a monthly article for them. And I was asked then by an HGTV editor to start writing tutorials for their website. And I still do that today. I still write tutorials for hgtv.com. Um, 
so it it was really a part of putting my work out there and letting it be seen. And then people came and, and reached out to me. I know how basic that must sound to you, but it really is brilliant because the fact that you took it from the perspective that you were writing it as a professional and taking your photographs as a professional means an enormous amount to those of us on the other side who are looking for talent like yours. Okay, so now I don't mean to skip around because there's a whole lot of story between here and the question I'm gonna ask, but I'm gonna skip for a minute and then we'll go back. So did so how did they come to you to write your book? Everybody wants to write a book. Everybody wants to be an author. So can you, because we're on that about how you, got yourself out there. Can you tell them how you became such a respected, fabulous author? Your first book for your, for a first book, your book is stunning. I oh, hope everybody in that's listening, um, treats yourself to the books because books, sometimes books aren't quite as good as you hope they'll be. Like when you see the covers and then you look on the inside and you think, oh dear, right? This isn't exactly what I'd hoped, but yours is a treat on every single page. I mean, I've been through it a hundred times. So tell them how you became an author. Well, so the, that journey actually started years ago uh, when I was content. Well, again, it was about putting it out there. I wrote a blog post that said, I feel like there's a book in me. Like I would like to write a book. And so I just wrote a blog post about that and said, you know, maybe no one will want to publish it, but I think I'm just going to write it anyway and just see kind of what happens. <laughs> and I can be a little plucky if you, if you haven't noticed, I just, I'm just going to go ahead and go for it. And so I, I put that out there and I did start working on a book and I got totally bogged down in like the layout and the details. I was going about it totally the wrong way. And as you know, from someone who does layouts and editing and all, instead of like doing the writing and doing the images, I was trying to like write and do the layout simultaneously, which oh. for a book, you can't do that because it's going to be changed so many times and the pictures are going to move around and everything. So I just got super frustrated with my completely impractical process and um, just continue to focus on writing blog posts. But what's interesting is you're writing a blog, you essentially are writing a, a book, you're writing a series of essays or chapters or sections. And putting a book together is really just about threading everything together and putting it under one single umbrella or one topic that would appeal to, to people on a shelf. So I, I put that out there and then I got a, an email from an editor uh, at, a, at a publishing house and this was Thomas Nelson at the time and they were interested in publishing my book and it was, it was a very like bumpy process because writing a book isn't just about writing and taking the photographs and putting it all together. It's about, there's this whole like there's this whole business behind it. It has to be a profitable book. I mean, you know this from publishing a magazine. It's it's not only about the, the passion of putting the information on paper. It's about, will it make money? And if it won't make money, if you can't convince those salespeople that it's going to be a profitable endeavor, then a publishing house isn't going to put it out. So that process was about a year long of, you know, finding like, and this was years ago. This was before there were a lot of bloggers putting out books. This was before there were kind of these hybrid like 
decorating books slash encouragement, real life kind of decorating books. This, this was like, if you weren't Martha Stewart, you, you just weren't <laughs> going to be on the home decor shelf. It was going to be really hard to compete there. So it took a lot of selling and, and, uh, but I had a team of people who really believed in it. And we eventually got my first book published, which was inspired you. And that was years ago. And I kind of was an exhausting process. The whole thing was so tiring and people would say like, well, when are you going to do your next book? And I'm like, not anytime soon. It's like, I've given birth to this book. I, I think I'm good now. <laughs> I think I'll just write my blog and do other things. Um, and I know so many other authors who feel like that. There are some authors who just like crank them out one after the other, that that's just, they can't help it. And then there are some people where it's like, yep, I did that. I can, I can move on now. Um, but after a few years, I started to really feel like I, I had another book in me. I have learned so much about writing, uh, at writing almost daily. I I've become a better writer. I've become a better photographer. And I felt like I had a lot to say, especially about this home that we moved into. That was this very beige suburban home. And there aren't many decorating books that are really geared towards that. There are so many that are geared towards these custom homes and towards these beautiful old homes with all these architectural details. And I love those books, but that's not the kind of house I live in. I live in this beige builder grade house with a two-story foyer and the huge chandelier, you know, brushed nickel <laughs> and all this stuff. And so what do I do with this house? And so I really wanted to write a book for people who lived in houses like mine, which are millions of people. And so, uh, so I started working with a literary agent and we shopped the book around. It's totally different process. Then this was, we had an option to work with a few different publishing houses and ended up working with an imprint of Hachette. And it was just, it, that was man, it was just such an easy experience and so wonderful and so, so different. And not because like one, it wasn't that one experience was bad and the other was good. It's that I, I needed to grow a lot and I needed to learn a lot. And, um, the market hadn't quite paved the way for the kind of book that I wanted to write. And then when I worked on feels like home, it just, it was just like the right book, the right time, the right publishing house. It was so fun putting it together. And, and, and I think that that shows, I'm glad to hear that you enjoyed the book so much, but um, I love it too, which it's always, it always feels good when you work really hard on something and then you love it instead of yes. like, okay, I did that. I don't want to deal with it anymore. That doesn't always happen, even though you think it might. I mean, it's like some issues just seem to fall together better than other issues, you know, even though you do the same thing and, and everything in both issues. So I know with the books and that is such a major investment. I have to ask, because I get asked this question a lot is, how did you find your agent, your literary agent to publish your book? I think, so of course you can do like cursory internet searches, but you're gonna come up with a whole lot of uh, kind of spammy stuff. And like, you know, the the whole like, I, I know some wonderful writers who have been kind of scammed into publishing, you know, these really tiny paperback books and they no longer own their 
the, the content of it. And, you know, so you have to be very careful. And I think the best way to go about it is to ask an author who you love and respect. Um, and that's what I did. I, I'm fortunate to have a few friends who are, who are also authors. And I asked uh, one of them who her literary agent was. This is Michael Lynn Smith of The Nester uh, or The Nester, The Nesting Place. She's written some wonderful books and she referred me to her literary agent. And it, it was just a wonderful experience working with her and um, having someone kind of who, who can navigate the whole publishing world. I didn't have that the first time. And it, it's nice to have someone who really knows, okay, this is, this is what you're looking for. This is what's, what's fair. I think Again, it was so different the first time I was just like happy to be there. I'm like, I'll do anything. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm just, yep. I'm just here and happy to be here. <laughs> and then the second time I had more experience. I just, I knew more of what I was looking for in a publisher. I knew more of what I wanted to fight for in a book. Cause again, you have that push and pull of what's going to sell. What's the cost of the book? What's the price point? And so you have to know what things you want to fight for what things are important to you and which things aren't. Um, in the case of the second book, the size was very important to me because I am a big book lover. Like I want, I always, always look at the dimensions of the book and the page count. And if it's some dinky little book, I'm, I'm not usually interested. I want big, beautiful pictures. I want a book that's going to lay flat that I can see all the details of the images and really study them. So the size of the book was really important to me. And um, so when I was looking for a publisher, that was one of the conversations was about the size of the book. So you just learn. It's such an experience. And I think any artist can relate to that, that you just you know, you have to learn what you like, what works, what you want to fight for, what you, what you don't care about. You just, it's all such a process. And I think that too many people get hung up because they don't know yet. And instead of learning through experience, they just think they can't do it. That is so true. And if they hit a roadblock, they think it's all their fault. Right. Mm -hmm. And they and they they don't find a way to go around it and they're too afraid to go through it. So it's um, they're really nice words that you share with the listeners, because you do feel a little bit isolated. And it's nice to hear somebody who is accomplished and who has produced such a beautiful book that it, you know, the second time was easy, but the first time wasn't. And if you would have quit. I mean, if you would have just stopped and thought, well, that's the end, then look what we all would have missed mm -hmm. as well as you, right? Because yes, yeah. you should be very proud of what you've accomplished there. It's a big deal. People don't realize what a big deal it is. Okay, so I think from my perspective, when you're talking about your house and where you live and that it's not this grand 1800 mansion somewhere in the country, and your studio is so fabulous. Will you tell it? You talk about it in the article in the magazine, but will you verbally tell everybody the story of your studio? I love that story. Yes, you know, and I do too, because I love my studio. And it was, it was something that was really important to find in our house. And that was one of the reasons why we ended up in the house that we did is that we were looking for a house that could not only accommodate our family that was in the right location, right 
price range, all of those things that everybody looks for, you know, close to schools, close to work. But we also needed a house that could accommodate my business. And that was tricky at the time. I think newer homes are now, you know, they're trying to incorporate more home office space and, you know, homeschooling space and all the things that we're doing at home a lot more now. But in the the homes that we were looking at that were built sort of in the early 2000s, there might be a home office and that was kind of the extent of it. But I needed a place to do photography and maybe work on furniture and and do whatever. Like I I never know what I'm going to get my fingers into (laughs) next. And so I needed spaces that could be adaptable. And so there was a home office, which was great. We knew I could have that be my office. There was an extra bedroom, a little bedroom that was going to be perfect for setting up as a sewing room and storing all my fabric and all of that. But as far as a studio, we thought, well, that maybe that would be like the basement family room or something, but the basement family room was just too good to not actually use as a family room. It was just a perfect place to put a big sectional. We have two, our boys are teenagers now. So a place where they could flop with their friends and watch movies and play games and stuff. So there was a sun porch though, that was off of the kitchen and it was not even in the real estate photos of the house. And now we were doing a job search in Pennsylvania or a house search in Pennsylvania for homes in Minnesota. So it was done almost all online and through FaceTime and everything. So this room was not even in the real estate listing. You could kind of see a peak of it through the kitchen. And I'm like, what is that room back there? What is that? So our realtor took photos of it and sent it to my husband first. And then he's like, uh, this is not, it's not going to work for you. You're going to hate it. <laughs> and he, he sent me the pictures and I'm like, okay, you don't know me at all after like almost 20 years of marriage. You just don't know me because it's perfect. It's wonderful. It has huge windows. It's going to let in amazing light. It has, it's all like, um, you know, wood planking, which is going to look amazing painted. It's, it's a pretty decent sized room and it's just going to be perfect. And so, um, So this became my studio within a week of moving in, I was priming and painting everything, taking down old broken blinds and, you know, (laughs) taking down an old ceiling fan and putting up a chandelier. And, um, and then we also had it because it was a, a three season porch without any climate control, which in Minnesota, it's not a three season porch. It's like a one and a half season porch. You can't use this for very, very much of the year. So we put in a a mini split system, which heats and cools the room and we had it insulated and, and made it a functional interior space. And it's perfect. It has an exterior door. So when I'm doing recordings like this, I can close it and it's nice and quiet and separate, but yet it's right off my kitchen. So I can kind of tiptoe in here while I'm waiting for dinner to cook and do something really (laughs) quick. Um, And it's been able to, we've been able to adapt it to fit, you know, kind of my growing collection of books and art supplies. And I always kind of find room for one more cabinet Um, but it's really done everything I've asked it to do. And it's one of those spaces that you walk into and just feel like there's this buffet of goodies waiting for me to create with. And 
I think that's what you want in a creative space that you walk in and can just hardly wait to get your hands on things <laughs> and start making something. And this, this space definitely does that for me. Well, I think for most of us, our creative spaces are kind of our shelter in the storm. Mm -hmm. And in the magazine article, you talk uh, a couple of times about what a sacred space it is for you. And I think that's very true of most of us. It's um, you don't want anybody else messing with your stuff, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't want, you yes. know, just... <laughs> like okay this is all mine and you need I we have our family room so we can all be together in the family room and all those kinds of things but just leave my space alone I yes my totally. kids are allowed in here but they're allowed in here to to draw and paint with me I have one my youngest son especially really enjoys art so he'll come in here and um sit at my drafting table and work on my ipad or something and and so that's fine, but it's like, you're not allowed to fight in here. You're not allowed to wrestle in here. <laughs> like that needs to, to be out of my studio. This is a place that's about creativity and, um, and just, and positivity and encouragement and, um, yeah, not a place for roughhousing. <laughs> oh man. I so agree with you. It's my daughter and I are very, very different. She, we, we couldn't be more opposite. And during COVID, I built a studio in my apartment and um, it's that you can see on the back if you, I, there are pictures in the magazines and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff on my shelves, which are all my treasures, right? And Sarah walked in and the first thing she said was, mom, you can put more stuff on one bookshelf than anyone I've ever known. <laughs> Well, you and I might compete for that, <laughs> for that um, title. That's, that's what I said to her. Do you read my magazines? I mean, I think everybody in there, it's such a community, which is, it's, which is one of the reasons I think there are sacred place and our shelter in the storm, because we know that there are other people out there just like us, right? Mm -hmm. Who love all the little things and we can share them. I, I think COVID hurt a lot of us because we couldn't share quite as much. Which yeah. is why I love the magazine so much because it gives us the opportunity. And what I love about your story is of your sun porch is that we get very few, very, very few criticisms in the magazine about the magazine. But one is, is that we always feature these really big, fabulous, beautiful studios. And I, and I write everybody back and say, that's not how they started. You know, they started as bedrooms and sun porches and garages, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's what you do with it that turns it into such a sacred space for sure. So well, and I think, I think smaller things become bigger things. Like nobody starts with the 2,500 square foot, you know, studio in a warehouse. I mean, maybe if, you know, you, you have some trust fund or something and, you know, maybe, but, but most of us start at the kitchen counter or start out of a guest room closet. And, and then we feel the confidence to take over a, a bigger, you know, maybe one room. And then as it starts to trickle out, then we see the need, like even in my studio now, I'm like, I am seeing the need for a bigger space. And that's not dictated by just what I want. That's dictated by the work I'm producing and creating. It, it needs a different kind of space now. And so 
you know, that's something I'm always thinking about. How can I adapt my spaces to accommodate all the new things that I'm doing? And yeah, you, you have to start somewhere. That's, that's really so true. So I hope people are more inspired by that than discouraged by that. Me too. That's what I always write and say. There's some little thing in every studio that you can latch on to that makes your studio, and it's always different. Your studio is different because what we collect is different. What we love is different. I mean, you know, some people like really fancy, gaudy kinds of things. I'm more, and you, I think I can tell from your studio, you're pretty, a little bit plainer, a little bit wood and natural fibers and those kinds of things. So it's just all about you, but you, you like you said, you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. So is it a secret or can you share with us some of the new things you're working on so that people know what to look for in the future? <laughs> That's a good question. No, I don't. I'm not usually someone who has a bunch of, you know, secret projects. There, there might be some <laughs> things that I, I can't, you know, I'm, I'm not talking about yet. But um, for the most part, so one thing I've gotten really excited about over the, about the last five years or so, four years maybe is um, oil painting. And I just, it's something I'd always been very intimidated by, which is, is really funny, I realized, because I would paint a mural on a whole wall and not feel intimidated by that. But for some reason, putting something on a canvas felt um, like it was too precious. It was too above me and where I was as an artist because putting it on a canvas means it's not, it's not just this decorative part of, you know, it's not part of decorating. It's Although art is a part of decorating, but a really big part. <laughs> yeah. But it just it felt like it was this this whole world that was not for me. And but I'd always envisioned myself sitting at an easel in front of a canvas. I've always loved art supplies. And so I finally just decided I was gonna do it. I was never gonna be a, a you know, an artist, a fine artist who painted on canvas, if I never painted on canvas. <laughs> so, um, so one of my Instagram friends, Michelle Wooderson, um, if you've never featured her studio, you should, it's beautiful. And it's just in a room in her house, Michelle Wooderson. So anyway, she decided she wanted to do oil painting as well. She's done watercolor scrap. She used to work for um, scrapbooking companies. And so she's had this long career in the, the art world and she wanted to do oil painting as well. So she challenged herself to paint 100 meadows. So she did the 100 meadows project where she was gonna paint 100 landscapes. And I said, I will join you. <laughs> like I said, I'm a little plucky sometimes. And so, <laughs> so I did it. I committed to a hundred and I painted a hundred paintings and it was such a wonderful experience. Really? I painted so many awful landscapes. <laughs> they were my first ones. And, and what happened, which was so interesting is I had this audience that I've built um, doing furniture and reupholstery and home decor and antiques and all this stuff online. And they were cheering me on. And it was like, uh, a lot of my readers are kind of more my mom's age than my age. So I had a lot of like these internet moms who were willing to <laughs> buy my, my little 
um, oil painting efforts and put them on their fridge to support me. And so it was this wonderful um, journey that people followed with me and saw, you know, the growth and the failures and the triumphs and the time when I finally was like, I have a foreground. We have a foreground people. I was really, really anxious about foregrounds for a long time. So everything was like way off in the distance. And um, so anyway, we all sort of experienced that together. And now I have a wonderful um, you know, community of people who collect my artwork. So while it's not the main thing I do, it's definitely something that I'm moving more towards. Uh, I have just a real passion for art. I love antique art supplies. I love art books. And, um, and I still love the home. I'm still definitely sharing what I'm doing in my home and home decorating and all of that. But I definitely have this, this new passion for art and not only art, but that it's a learned skill because I've seen myself learn and improve over the years. And so I, I want to be a real encouragement to those who, who want to get into whatever art it is. So I am planning on doing more class, more art classes online. And oh, that's a good idea for you. People would more, yep, more original art sales. I have one coming up and, um, I'm also I would like to do a lot more with prints. I did do some, um, lino cut prints over the uh, winter and I did I turned some of those into wrapping paper and that sold really well um, on society six and so I'd like to get a lot more into like pattern design and um, surface design and that sort of thing so um, I'm kind of moving moving a bit more in the direction of um, of I guess art and design more than antiques and decorating but you never know where I'm going to go. <laughs> it's nice to have options. I think it is. I always, I've always told my husband, I'm like, you know, if something just completely dies out, it's like, that's okay. I can like, I can like become an upholsterer. I can like just rev up something else and do it. Like I can, I, I have confidence that I can figure out something that the market will want from me. <laughs> so Oh yeah, for sure. So have you ever thought about having your own line of fabrics? Have you ever thought about uh, designing fabrics? Yeah, I actually did have a line of fabrics with, um, it was quilting fabric. So it ended up being this, like it didn't quite fit. I wasn't in the quilting world, so it didn't quite fit in my world, but um, I learned so much from that experience. And unfortunately also I came in with the company at a time where they were, they were bought out. It was with free spirit uh -huh. fabrics. And then they were bought out by Coates and Clark. It was a really difficult time to be like a new fabric artist launching a line yeah. because there was a ton of transition. And so, so anyway, that's another good example of, you know, that was my first experience working on a fabric line. And, and even though I don't have, I had one and I don't have one now, that doesn't mean that it wasn't a valuable experience. I met some amazing people. I learned a lot. And, um, and now I have some more tools in my toolbox if that's the way I want to go. So I've been playing around on spoon flower and that sort of thing and looking into options of having um, fabric patterns printed. So that's definitely a possibility. I'd, I'd love to 
get into that more, but wrapping paper was just like a really easy place to start. And I loved the, um, I loved the quality of the society six wrapping paper. So it ended up being like this, you know, I had tears when I opened it up. Cause I'm like, this is just what I imagined. <laughs> it was so perfect. So it was a great experience. And yeah, I think it'll, it will eventually expand into to fabrics or wallpapers or you're Whatever. just so perfect for that. I mean, wallpapers, wrapping paper, I get, because we always love to wrap our presents and make them fancy and all that kind of stuff. But wallpaper and home decor fabric, like draperies and a fabric like that, you just seem like such a natural because you have such an extensive background in home decor. So you know what works and what doesn't work and what people will like. And your sense of color is beautiful and I, I love what you do. I love I your studio. It was, you know, usually when we pick covers for the magazine, we, we didn't want to make a mistake. And I gravitated towards your beautiful wood pieces and your easel, that beautiful wood easel. And the other part of the group gravitated towards your desk and that green a rolling thing, the vintage one was lighter. And I'm like, no, I like the heavy one. And so, but it was a very successful cover. You should be very proud. I I was, and I, I you know, and I've, I've already gushed all over your book and just the, you know, bringing women's creative spaces to, you know, the, pa the glossy pages of a magazine to a community online. And one reason why I just always go back to your magazines is I feel like there has become this, um, there's a bit of a creative funnel that's created on social media of, you know, you start to sort of curate who you follow and you follow people who kind of do similar things that you do or have a style that you're drawn to. And it can start to feel like this world of sameness and it can start to feel, and I hear people say a lot, like, I want to do this, but everybody's already doing it. And it just feels like that because those are the people who you follow. And what I love about your magazine is how it shows me how many different things people are doing and not just what they're doing, but what they're actually making a living off of. And things that I'd never even knew there was, some, I can't remember her name right now, but there was someone who you featured who did just amazing things with paper, making these very intricate sculptures and so stunning. And I'm like, I didn't even know that people did that, like beyond just like for fun as an origami craft or something, <laughs> but did that and actually like, that's her profession. And so I just always, leave your magazine instead of feeling like, man, everybody's doing the same thing. And it's, you know, I always leave your magazine just kind of buzzing with possibility and excited oh. about finding new people that I can follow online and finding this new community and how people are doing so many different things. So I, I think in this online world, I just really want to, I'm assuming a lot of people who listen to this also read your magazine, but Hopefully. if you don't, I just want to encourage you to go pick up the magazine. Cause it really is like a cure to that feeling of like, uh, oh, everybody's doing the same thing. It really is a cure for that. Well, and you, you know, it's interesting because I am so thankful you said that, and I'm going to say 
write out loud that you were not prompted to say. No, I wasn't. At all on your own. Because, you know, sometimes the conversation comes up. Do you think we're too broad? Do you think we should focus in more on certain styles and certain things? And I always fight for the everybody being pretty different because you can you can look at somebody who does those beautiful paper sculptures and faces and stuff and what you see is totally different than what somebody else sees the possibility of what you could do with that technique what the colors mean to you all those kinds of things and that's why we try for a broader perspective yeah and i i think it's I think it's needed in the art world because art is so subjective and it, I have grown to really love exposing myself to art that is not art that I'm into. I love impressionist artwork. That's my, like what I'm drawn to more than anything else. But I've started now studying more modern art and abstract expressionism and even like cubism, which I'm like, oh. <laughs> not my thing but to to find the appreciation in it and man I'll tell you it really is just a whole new world to um to see where people start and then where they end up and kind of how their path took them that direction and I see that a lot in your magazine and uh, I just I really appreciate that and I think online where everything is so instant and you're just seeing like kind of what people are doing right that second you can kind of miss those, those meandering journeys that really lead to, you know, beautiful, innovative places. So do you have something in your mind that you want to try someday that you haven't tried yet? Always. (laughs) (laughs) You have a very vivid imagination, right? (laughs) I would love to get into, um, like, ceramics and sculpture and that sort of thing and if it weren't for the fact that like you need a kiln and a wheel and like stuff that's a lot more involved than just heading to the art store and picking up some supplies I would have done it already I have books on it and things um but I'd love to go to a local ceramics studio and just um play around with it I don't think that's something I would ever do as like it's my thing I'm a ceramicist now but Uh, I would love to just get my hands in it. I think that would be really fun. Um, I've also become a lot more interested in the, so I've always loved textiles, but I've become more interested in like the art side of textiles, kind of the turning the textiles into actual artwork and as opposed to into curtains or a pillow or, you know, something that's more both decorative, but in different ways. And so I've, I've become very interested in, in that, that textile art. So I've um, just been playing around with it a little bit, but I'd love to do more of that as well. Oh, you'd be fabulous at it. You would be so good. I can, I would love to sit and just, because I love that. I love the textile arts. And I, I can remember when my husband and I first got married, we went to Mexico on a cruise with his family and we stopped in Los Angeles to to get on the ship and we went in this art store and I bought this eight foot giraffe that was all hand painted and stuffed and everybody was mad at me and everybody thought I was absolutely crazy and I'm like this is the greatest thing I've ever seen 
<laughs> so I love that kind of sculptural three-dimensional, you know, kind of with beautiful fabrics in those days, uh, this is my age in those, which was um, about over 50 years ago when I got married in those days, everything was hand painted because mm -hmm. the fabrics were pretty heavy, pretty brocadey, you know, not whimsical and bright and the way they are today. So, but I, I, I will be one of your biggest fans when you move into that category. <laughs> so. And, you know, and I love not knowing where things are going to, going to lead me. I think it is a little tricky when you, and I think a lot of artists have experienced this. I know a lot have, because I've, I've done a lot of reading on it and from musicians to artists, to designers, when you become you build a good audience base for one specific thing that you do and then you decide you want to do something else you have this tension of oh you're doing the same thing over and over again this is boring or why don't you just do the same thing over and over again because that's what I love and now you're changing and I don't love it anymore and so there's so I've been doing a lot of reading on different artists and different, you know, disciplines of kind of how they've dealt with that. And what I've come across over and over again is, is you're going to get negative feedback either way, if you stay the same or if you change. So changing is more interesting. So just go ahead and go ahead and change and knowing that, you know, either way, you're going to get some people who don't like it. So um, so I've been sort of struggling through that the last few years, changing from being someone who finishes, you know, piece of furniture after piece of furniture over the, the course of a year to, you know, talking about antique art supplies and books and sharing the paintings that I'm doing or what I'm learning in my sketchbook or, um, and then combining that with home decor. So there's, there's always a tension when it comes to creating. And I think, especially with creating when there's any sort of a customer base or audience involved there's always a little bit of of that tension but um you know you just you just have to keep you know putting one foot in front of the other and uh and I think creating in a way that's authentic so that's what I'm trying to do well you're really good at it and it's you it, you have to be a little bit brave you know you have to it's it's easier to go with the whim of those who speak the loudest mm -hmm. who don't necessarily represent the most they're just the loudest and so you start to doubt yourself and it does take a great deal of bravery i just wrote a a, a newsletter on our artist heroes mm. and i i have to say yes you know and scream it from the rooftops because everything you do is a little bit different. You change, you change our worlds by what we love, what we look at, what we collect, what brings us joy, you know, all those kinds of things. So I always admire all of you for trying all the things you do and stretching yourself. And well, you know. and you are in definitely included in that group because I can't imagine you saying, I'd love to make a book just specifically about women's creative spaces, or I'd like to make a magazine about what women are creating. I, I can't imagine that that happened without some kind of a fight on your part to say, <laughs> no, these people are out there and they will buy it and they want it. And that brand has been sustained uh, for years, so decades. So, you know, I think you have to be willing to 
to be brave and take a risk. And I actually just recently, I was watching the TV show. It's a British TV show called uh, uh, Landscape Artist of the Year. That's just wonderful. First of all, the British people are like so kind to each other. It's not like American competition shows where they're, you know, trying to, <laughs> I don't know, where they're just so awful to each other. Oh, yeah. um, I know it's so wonderful to watch. Everybody's so gracious and kind. And, and um, so anyway, I'm watching this show and someone said, yeah, art, you know, art is risk. And it really is just about failing better each time. And I've heard, I don't think that originated with him. I've heard that sort of echoed through from other people. But, um, you know, it really is, it's about just kind of just continuing to keep going and fighting for the things that, that you really believe in and that are important to you. And, um, and I think also we've gotten to the point where audience size or numbers of likes, all of that has become so important when in the grand scheme of things, it really isn't that important. It really is so much more important to have, a a small passionate customer base than a huge one where most of the people are kind of ambivalent to whatever you're doing or just feel very mediocre about it or who want to tell you they want you to do what you're you're changing anymore so you want those people who are like I love what you're doing no matter what you're doing like actually I saw a um you had a feature in Where Women Create that had a man in it. And I remember being like, there's a man in Where Women Create. Can she do that? And I'm like, well, of course she can do that. It's about sharing creative spaces. And there are some wonderfully creative men. And we'd love to see their spaces too. So that's okay. <laughs> so you know, That is such an interesting story. Because when I started Where Women Create, it was going to be all about women. And it was because in the publishing world where I'd been with books, I was surrounded by men, right? Mm. And so I just wanted to cater to women. So we did a couple of issues of where women create. And I started to get these emails from women that said, I know this guy and he's so talented and, you know, and he's, he's pro female and he's this, that, and the other. So we got together and we decided that we could do one in each issue and in create, it would be, it always had to be kind of tongue in cheek. So in create, it was the men who make it. And in cook, it was the men we crave. So mm. that it was kind of a little bit, you know, lighthearted and stuff. But some of them are so incredibly talented and not just in woodworking and metalworking, which you think of men in, but in the arts and Oh yeah. Sculpture and the things they do. But so can I ask you a question? We, Sammy, for the listeners who don't know about Sammy, Sammy works for Matavor and she is the genius behind all of our podcasts and the editing to make us sound great and all those kinds of things. So we were talking today about Instagram and likes. And since you brought that up, I think our readers, readers, listeners everybody's a reader as far as I'm right right our listeners would be really interested to know what if you think it's a good idea to take the likes off of the Instagram pages especially like maybe not yours but ours who represent we're kind of like a gallery right so we represent an entire range of artists who do amazing things but they're very very different and what we do know is that the vast majority of our audience likes antiques. 
Whenever we do anything on vintage, our numbers go way up. It just is what it is. But we're trying to broaden the audience and bring all these people in. And Sammy and I were talking this morning. I don't think as a gallery type Instagram site, we should have likes. But as somebody who we've posted and worked with and featured in the magazines, how do you feel about that? That's a great question because actually I have started to turn off likes on more and more of my posts. And for a few reasons, um, I started using social media platforms like Instagram and Facebook and Pinterest kind of in their heyday before the algorithms came in. And once the algorithms came in, there, there's such a great deal of manipulation that happens in what people see and don't see. And I don't think that the, the likes are really a true representation of what's good or bad or what's liked or not liked. It's about what people see if they see it. So it's not like a gallery that everyone walks through and sees everything. And maybe they leave a little like sticker for the ones that they like. And you're getting sort of this very honest representation of everyone who's there and which pieces are most popular. What you're getting is just this small percentage of your audience who actually sees it. And then the small percentage of those who not only likes it, but actually takes the time to let you know that they like it, which a lot of people don't. They're just scrolling through. They're not thinking like, oh, I've got to support them and I've got to support them and I've got to let them know. You know, they won't post this again if they don't get enough likes. And so kind of the conclusion that I've come to is if my concern about the number of likes that I'll get on something is going to prevent me from posting it, then I'll just turn off the likes because I don't want Instagram to determine what content is worth sharing and what's not worth sharing. And I think that's what's happening. And that's why you're seeing this sort of creative funnel of if you make a reel and it's on and it's to this kind of music, then you're going to get more likes and more attention versus, you know, that might not be the way you want to create and share your work you may not want to do this one minute video edited with gimmicks in it and stuff like you don't want to do that. So you don't want to dance with your artwork. Right. No, I don't. I, I actually, a few months ago, I was sharing on Instagram. Like I was feeling very conflicted by some of this because the posts that, that get the most likes have the person in them you know, it's, it's about them and they're, you know, them modeling something. And I'm like, I did not start doing this to become a model. That's not what I want to do. I don't, I don't want to have to play that role. That's very uncomfortable for me. So I'm not going to, and that's okay. And, and so I think there's eventually going to be a bit of a backlash to the way social media is kind of you know, forcing people into these, you know, pleasing the algorithm as opposed to actually appealing to their audience and creating authentically. And so, yeah, I think taking away the likes is a great thing. And there's a real freedom to that too, because then it's, you know, I just put it out there. And if I get a lot of likes, great. If I don't, then that's okay too. Like I don't care or I don't even know because I'm not checking. So yeah, I think if the likes are 
affecting in any way what you're posting or not posting or making you feel icky or like comparison game, just take them off. Don't even go there. It's not healthy as a creative or as a person. And what the, some of the online galleries, I've been doing quite a bit of research because it has such an impact on some of our people. Like if we post about them and they only get 200 likes and somebody else gets 2000, they call me and they're crying and they're sorry they weren't as good as somebody else. And I'm just like, oh, you guys, it has nothing to do with that. And what some of the online galleries have found is when they had likes, it actually dictated the sales of the pieces because when those of us who buy things that we like, who aren't art enthusiasts, right? And don't know all of the technical and who's big and who's not and all of that. We are influenced by other people. So if we see something that 2000 people like, we think, oh, oh my hell, I should like that, right? I'll buy that versus something that we really, really like in our soul, but that only 20 people liked. And so we think, Oh, well, maybe that's not as good, right? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, we're really leaning towards that. Sammy and I have been talking about it and I'm not a social media person to start with. So this whole like thing makes me go right over the edge. It's just so mean. I think it's mean. Yeah, I I think it was created with, um, you know, good intentions of like, let's give people an opportunity to, to show, you know, show some sort of support. But yeah, it's there have been a lot of unintended consequences, not just for artists and creatives, but for, you know, especially when you're looking at teenagers, when, you know, affirmation is so important. And, Um, The kind of stuff that gets a lot of online affirmation is not necessarily healthy for kids to be doing and, or safe, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I think that's true of artists. I think as artists, artists need affirmation too. You need, you need people to encourage you to keep going and trying different things. And if like your first book, if it wasn't as popular, if maybe you would have listened to everything on Instagram and not your inner soul and your closest friends and those kinds of things, you wouldn't be who you are today. Right. Yeah. yeah I so it's, such, it's such a mixed bag. Cause I think some beautiful things about the online space is that you are able to put your work out there. I'm if, if you had told me like 15 years ago, I'd be having a conversation with you. I would have been like, no way. Absolutely <laughs> not. There's like, how would that happen? <laughs> I'm not in, you know, and so I think it's, it's just opened the world up for us to be, you know, creatives and people who love home decorating or people who love antique art supplies or people who love textiles, whatever it's allowed us to all connect with one another in a way that's so special. And it's connected people who love our work with us in a way that, that wasn't done even 10 years ago. So it's so wonderful in that sense, but then there's this whole load of just, you know, angst that kind of comes along with it, with the likes and the algorithms and how you have to create to have your work seen. People who are leaving comments that are not encouraging or that, you know, so it it is a mixed bag. And I think you just have to find healthy ways to set boundaries and use it as you want to use it and not let it dictate 
the way you create, the way you live, the way you work. Um, it's a tool and tools should be something that are helpful to us, <laughs> not something that is like <laughs> giving us, you know, indigestion and making us lose weight. It just shouldn't you be that up way. at so, night, right? It's like, right, it just oh my hell, I forgot to post today. That means I'm going to be, my algorithm's going to be thrown off because I'm not posting every day, right? It's right, just- right. I took, actually, I took a whole month off, which after over 12 years of posting online, I've never taken that amount of time off. And I took a month off in January and it was, it was hard in a sense because- <laughs> I missed seeing what my online friends were doing. And I missed, I, what I learned is that photographing and writing about what I do has become a part of my process. It's kind of the the closure to whatever I've worked on or created. It's a way that I process what I like, what I don't like all of that. Uh, And I love that um, part of the process. So I missed that a lot and I found myself just doing it anyway. So then when I came <laughs> off my break, I had all this stuff to share. I was just bursting to share it. Uh, but what I didn't miss was, yeah, just kind of those negative things that come along with sharing online, that stuff of that like constant feedback and constant, constantly wondering if what you did that day was enough and if you shared it right and what's the algorithm going to do. It's like, we're not really concerned about what people are going to think about it. It's really more, what is some program um, that is not a person? What is some, how is some program going to respond to it? And is it going to let enough people see it? And man, I think it's, I think it's ruining a lot of people who are, you know, wonderfully creative and also just incredibly sensitive to that. So um, it'll be interesting to see how that changes over the years. It will be. And I think it will change. I think, I think so too. Maybe not across the board, but I think in categories, it will change for sure. The arts, fashion. I mean, some of these personal bloggers, I have a friend who uh, works with a personal fashion blogger. And when she's modeling something for Nordstrom's, she leaves the likes because she gets quite a few likes, but she gets blasted when she does something or ignored when she does something that's personal, but she likes herself or something. And so she started turning all of that off and, you know, doing that too. So I think in certain categories it's, and I think it will help our youth, our teenagers, the teenage girls. I just, my heart breaks for what they go through. Sometimes it's so, I know it wasn't the original intent, but everything turns, you know, along the way. So thank you for allowing me to ask the question. Thank you for answering it. I appreciate that very much. I don't want to take any time away from you and what you do, but I do appreciate your wisdom and your experience and what you have to share with our listeners. So I'm proud to have you on the pages of my magazine. I'm a little bit, um, pretentious and calling you friend when we haven't ever even really met right but I feel like we share something that's fairly special so um, there's always two things that I ask at the end of the podcast and one is do you have a secret that you would share with our listeners that maybe not everybody knows so I had to really think about this question because 
Um, I've shared, I've written so much about myself online, <laughs> like over 3000 blog posts that like something has <laughs> got to be in there somewhere that someone's going to know. But I think one thing that would surprise people is that, um, I played a lot of sports when I was younger and I'm, it wasn't because I was, was athletic or really particularly, you know, was drawn to sports. Um, but my parents really encouraged me to try everything to see what I liked. And so I actually, I played on a boys baseball team because there was oh. not a softball team where we were. <laughs> so I, I was one of maybe two girls on the baseball team. Um, I played basketball, which I was just horrible at. Um, I played soccer. I, and, but then in addition to that, I did the, you know, the dance tap and jazz and ballet and baton twirling and cheerleading and just, just did everything on top of music lessons and voice. And I think that what that taught me is um, I think kids these days can be so pigeonholed into, well, we're a baseball family and that's what we do. And you play baseball all through so that you can be good in high school and actually compete. And, and I, my parents just did not take that approach. We did, my brother and I did everything. And what that taught me is, first of all, it's okay to not be good at everything. It's okay to try things that I'm not good at. And then it's okay to acknowledge that I'm not good at it. And it's okay to go on and do something else and um, to pursue the things that I really do enjoy. And so I, I think that a lot of people probably wouldn't guess that I played baseball. At one, at one I would have guessed you played baseball, but I never would have guessed you played basketball. <laughs> I did, which I'm not tall either. Like I'm not short, but I'm just very like average. And um, I was really bad at it really. But, um, but it, again, it was just a good experience. And I, I think that um, you need to have a certain amount of failure in your life to see that like, it's really okay. It's okay to be bad at something. <laughs> it's not the end of the world. So I became very resilient as a kid um, learning that, you know, well, here's, here's what I'm great at. Here's what I'm not so great at. And um, so that I could really celebrate those things I was good at and not feel defeated when I didn't do well at something. So. so have you ever written that story down? Is that story where people can read it somewhere? I, I think I've mentioned like here and there, I did write a blog post about like, some people have asked me what my parents did, like what my childhood was like. And I think I shared a little bit about that, but I should write a dedicated blog post to it um, because it, it really did shape me into who, who I am. I would like to invite you, you can write the blog post, the dedicated blog post, but I would love to invite you to write an article for the magazine. I I'm uh, on it. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to I do mean, that. I just think coming from you and, and hearing all of that would make an enormous difference in many, many people's lives. And I think I would love to be part of that. I would love to help share that. So I'm going to follow up with that. Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now that I'm not afraid to ask you now that I feel like we know each other, right? Yeah. Now that we're friends, <laughs> now that we're friends, I can just call you up. You have to be careful with that word friend, because what happens is I start calling up and saying, Marianne, we're just working on this project. Will you help us just a little bit? <laughs> I'll have to tell you, it would always 
make me so happy to get an email from you. So you don't ever, don't ever feel that hesitancy at all. So, okay. I'll, I promise to do that. If you promise to do one thing for me, and that is if I ever start sending too many, you say, Joe, I need a break. (laughs) I will. I will. Okay. I've gotten much better at saying, (laughs) I can't do that now. Here's, here's when I can do it. Exactly. Because I don't ask a lot because I feel like people feel a little bit pressured. It's like, oh, I really should do it. Or she's not going to ask again, or I've missed an opportunity or whatever. And it's not like that at all. Yeah. I'm just one of the girls, right? Okay. So the other thing I always ask at the end of every podcast is your favorite quote. And the reason I ask this, which I always say in every podcast, is because I think it's very difficult to say a lot in a few words. Mm-hmm. And so I think the, the quotes we choose personally speak volumes about who we are as people. And so if you would share your favorite quote. I will. And I have to show you how difficult this was for me because I have this whole notebook <laughs> that one of these is dedicated completely to um quotes and things I read like I'm a little collect I have a little word collection and um so it's really hard to pick my favorite one but I think one that I always come back to again and again is do what you can with what you've got where you are and that uh was originally attributed to Bill Widener which I don't know who that is but um Teddy Roosevelt wrote that in um, one of his, I think in his biography. And so he kind of is usually attributed to that quote, but it's been said in many different forms over the years. But what I love about it is, um, it really does encapsulate kind of my approach to things is that we're not always going to have the perfect setup. We're not always going to have that huge studio, or we're not always going to have the time that we need, or we're not always going to feel, completely capable of doing what's in front of us or what we want to do. And I think that if you can just focus on doing what you can in that season of life, working with whatever you've got and how many, how many wonderful things, Joe, have you seen made out of like the smallest things like threads or grass or just so small and cheap or free, you know, that people have made beautiful things out of. So what you have should never be an excuse, like, or what you don't have should never be an excuse to not use your gifts. And then, you know, wherever you are, sometimes you're living in your dream house. Sometimes you're in an apartment. That's just the best situation you could afford. Um, and so I, I just, I think that's such an encouraging, um, quote. And so it's why it's one of my favorites. Well, it is very indicative of who you are and how giving you are and what you've created. And I cannot tell you what an honor it's been to have you be part of from my kitchen table. The only disappointment that I have during our podcast from the kitchen table is when our time is over for today. It is such an honor for me to be able to create a moment for each of us to be together, to share our stories. I can promise you, and you can trust me, no matter how easy these guests make the journey appear, it wasn't. They each started by taking the first step, together and alone, frightened and inspired, ready or not, each one moving ever forward, simply doing what they love to do. 
and that is create. Because we are a community which is based on our support of one another, please remember to leave a review. Leave a review, not only for these magazines, but for each other. It is a small investment of your time and yet an enormous gift to each of our guests that are working so very hard to be the best they can be in their chosen field. If you have any questions or want to know more, please visit womencreate.com. As you know, I am a lover of quotes and to end this chapter of From My Kitchen Table, I want to share my favorite quote with you. And that is, I love each of you and all of you with a thousand hearts. Until our next From My Kitchen Table, stay safe, keep notes, and take lots of pictures. Mm, right back to you, Joe. Thank you. You're going to hear from me all the time.